Welcome in, Baylor fans, and thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Please Bear With Me with your host, yours truly, Travis Corley. Ten wins. Ten wins for your Baylor Bears without a conference championship game needed, without a bowl game needed. Ten wins. Thought our ceiling was eight, and we are two above that with the potential of getting to 12. And a huge thank you to Oklahoma State for pulling out that win. I was pretty worried there in that third quarter. They made some huge mistakes, but found a way to win. And now we get a rematch in the Big 12 championship game with the Oklahoma State Cowboys. We will get into that because we are going to welcome Travis Roeder to break down the rematch give us some good X's and O's and what Baylor needs to do to pull out the win for a third conference championship in, what is it like, six, seven years? Just an amazing turnaround that Aranda's been able to do. So hey, let's get into it. Please bear with me. does it feel good to have 10 wins under our belts and now a big 12 championship appearance which was in jeopardy there in that third quarter of bedlam did not think oklahoma state was going to pull that one out but man am i thankful that they did because now we will be playing at the big 12 championship game for the second time in 3 years something that you know a lot of us didn't think was possible. I did not think it was possible at all this year. I already mentioned, you know, I thought our ceiling was going to be eight wins. Here we are sitting at 10 with an opportunity to win another conference championship. And I would also like to point out just how amazing it feels that OU and UT will not be playing in this Big 12 championship game. Honestly, not expecting them to stay in the Big 12 until 2025 when their contracts run out. So I am hoping they are gone next year, which means we, the hateful eight, will not be letting an SEC team, an SEC team take the title before chunking the deuces. So UT and OU, get out. We're done with you. And uh, good riddance. I've been talking about the potential of a 12-win season, and that is still in reach. It is right there in front of us, and it is not going to be easy, though. We've got the number seven team in the nation to beat here in the conference championship. And then, looking ahead to a bowl game, it is going to be a very, very good opponent in a bowl game. I think, from what I've been seeing, the projections are maybe the second or third place SEC team. So based on how things fall, I mean, we could end up playing Alabama. Yes, playing Alabama in a Sugar Bowl, which 
would be freaking awesome. Like, I would be so excited about that matchup because do I think the matchup's in our favor? Probably not. But I, I, I would trust Aranda to figure out a way how to stop that Alabama offense. And also, it's just a great measuring stick for where our program is at because we all know Alabama is at the top of the college football mountain. And for us to get an opportunity to show what Baylor is about and, and on a national stage, because people are going to watch Bama. People are going to watch Bama, and that is going to give you know Baylor a great opportunity to show what we're all about. And hey, if we could somehow pull out a win against Alabama, uh, man, what, what that would do for recruiting would just be ridiculous, would be so awesome. And I'm getting very ahead of myself because I'm very excited about the potential of that matchup. And, you know, hopefully it happens and we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Because I don't think, you know, even if we win against Oklahoma State this weekend, the chances of us making the college football playoff are highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. A lot of things have to happen. You know, I think Notre Dame would have to lose. Cincinnati would have to lose. Alabama would have to lose. And uh, I, I think like one more team would have to lose in order for us to break into that fourth spot. So, you know, getting very far ahead of myself. But like I said, it's hard not to talk about it because I am very, very excited about the the bowl game. Very, very excited about uh, wh where that's going to take us and, uh, you know, what what that could mean for the program. And back to our, our um, back to Baylor, back to a, a potential 12 win season. You know, we thought what Rule did in, in his third year in three years was very special. And it was like, don't get me wrong. That was so special, especially from where he started to, to where he went. But now Aranda in a great opportunity to eclipse that. And honestly, I think he might already have eclipsed that, but to for sure eclipse that by winning the Big 12 or winning a New Year Six Bowl or both, which I think is kind of likely, and and just two years for Aranda to do it, just two years, and we will break down this conference championship game here in a bit. Um, also going to be bringing on Travis Roeder, just probably the best X's and O's guy for Baylor football out there. I mean, this guy just does some ridiculously awesome breakdowns and I am super excited to bring him on and talk to him, especially with, with a rematch because he has broken down that Oklahoma state, uh, game, uh, when we played him earlier in the year and he's going to know exactly what to expect from Oklahoma state and know kind of what Baylor needs to do to come out with the win. So very excited to bring Travis Roeder on. But until that time, let's talk about this coaching carousel and let's talk about Dave Aranda. I didn't talk about it much last week uh, because there wasn't really any news to report. But later in that week, we got some great, great news that Aranda would likely be signing an extension. It's been reported by multiple media outlets. It's been reported by David Smoke of Sikkim 365. And if they're, man, I take what David Smoke says to the bank, 
to the bank. I always trust him and whatever he has to say. So if he says that he thinks Aranda is going to stick around, then I trust that. I trust that. And I, man, do I love Coach Aranda. We, we've gotten references to the Berenstein Bears. And then last week, in, in an interview with Joe Klatt, brings up the Velveteen Rabbit. Like, who, who is this guy? Who, who is this guy? I mean, such a deep thinker, so genuine, and just so extremely happy that we have Dave Aranda in Waco. So happy that he is going to likely sign an extension and so happy that he loves Baylor. He, he understands what Baylor is about and he fits Baylor so well as he's said himself to us and to the team. He has come out multiple times saying that Baylor is the right fit for him. He has come out multiple times and said he's, he has addressed it with the team. Says the team knows his, quote, quirkiness. And that he, he, he thinks he fits so well at Baylor, as I think we all do too. And on top of that, even outside of the football program, he has expressed how special of a place Baylor is as a whole. So, you know, a, a, a great opportunity, not opportunity, but just great news that Aranda is going to stick around. And some other big reasons I think Aranda is going to stick around. This is nothing that he said. This really, you know, hasn't, there hasn't been reports about anything of this sort being said. These are just my thoughts of why I think he's also going to stay. With OU and UT, mainly OU, leaving the conference, it just makes so much more room for a new top dog in this Big 12. I think Coach Aranda sees that it could be Baylor. It could be Baylor, especially if we're able to pull off this Big 12 championship this year. That's going to catapult us as to being one of the top dogs in this new Big 12. Secondly, the athletic department buy-in is amazing. It is amazing. Over the last 10 years, Baylor has invested close to half a billion dollars into the athletic department. We've got a field house going up. We've got uh, the Welcome Center going up. We've got a brand new football operations building being built. So the athletic department buy-in, what, what more would you want from your university than that? And lastly here, the pressure. The pressure is just so so much less at Baylor than, than a program like LSU, like USC, like Notre Dame and OU, which we've seen have come open in the past few days. And if you, if you don't win in season two, season three at those places, the, the, the seat under you starts to warm up. It starts to get hot. And look, we've saw the head coach at Florida, I can think of his name right now, but the head coach at Florida, I mean, he has a, he had a winning record at Florida and he, he was out, he got fired. Okay. So it does not take a lot to get booted from one of these, you know, the, the buzzword everyone likes to use is the blue blood program, you know? So just going by that buzzword, it does not take a lot for a coach to be fired from a blue blood program. You know, it is going at this point after this season, it is going to take a lot of losing seasons for Aranda to be let go 
from Baylor. I don't see that happening, but if it does happen, you know, it's going to take four, maybe five losing seasons before we start to question, you know, who our head coach should be. So could not be happier with the direction the program is going. And we as fans have been aching. I mean, we've been aching for a guy who wants to be here, who wants to be here for the long haul. And guys, I think we found him in Dave Aranda. I, I, I really do. If he wanted to leave, this was the year to do it. This was 100% the year to do it. I don't think there's, there's been a year within the past 10 to 20 years where this many, and I'll use the buzzword again, blue blood programs have an opening at head coach and his, his name has never been hotter, never been hotter. So for us to be able to retain Dave Aranda, which I, I think is very likely at this point, we are very fortunate, very fortunate as fans. And to the coaching carousel as a whole, some just wild, wild things happened over this past weekend. I mean, Riley, Lincoln Riley goes from OU to USC, a decision that was made in less than 24 hours. Lincoln Riley said this all came together late Saturday night and early Sunday morning. So, hey, great job, Oklahoma State. You were the nail in the coffin. And man, does that, I, I bet that feels so good as an Oklahoma State fan that <laughs> Lincoln Riley's last game as the OU head coach was a loss to their, to their rival, to their in-state rival. And OU fans, they are big mad, big mad. I listened to a vent session that was going on on Twitter um, on Sunday. And <laughs> they were all saying, you know, the top candidate is Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> like, oh man, oh man. It was, it was just great to hear because, to, <laughs> oh my gosh, Cliff Kingsbury is not leaving the first place Arizona Cardinals with one of the best quarterbacks in the world in Kyler Murray. He is not leaving. <laughs> like, oh man, it, it was pretty hilarious to listen to. And, and here we have Lincoln Riley running scared from the SEC. Running scared. It just seems like he does not want any of that. And look, I, I can't blame him. Can you? I mean, the Pac-12, seriously, it is way easier to win in the Pac-12. The path to the college football playoff is way easier in the Pac-12 as well, especially if they're going to expand the playoff to 12 teams. I mean, your, your only co competition in the Pac-12 at this moment is Oregon. That's, that's really it, okay? There's no other school on that West Coast that you're going to be in, in competition with in recruiting. You've basically got all of California, which is going to be looking to USC now. And he already had some of those top recruits from California coming to OU. And now he's going to be able to recruit that area in full force. It, it, it was a no-brainer for him. Honestly, it was. And before this season, if you had told me Lincoln Riley and Spencer Rattler would not be with OU when the year ended, I would have called you crazy, but yet here we are. 
Here we are. Lincoln Riley has moved on to USC. And Spencer Rattler has put his name officially into the transfer portal. And OU fans, welcome to the real world. Welcome to reality. Because OU has not had to search for a coach since 1998. And now they turn back to Bob Stoops as an interim head coach. I honestly would not be surprised if he becomes their full-time head coach for another year, for another two years, until they can identify the guy that they want to move forward with a program in the long haul. So we'll be interesting to see what happens there in OU. Cannot blame Lincoln Riley for leaving just a much easier path um, to winning, straight up to winning. And then Brian Kelly uh, moves from Notre Dame to LSU. I think that was a little bit more shocking to me than Riley leaving. Um, And this is Brian Kelly right here, chasing a national championship by going to LSU. He has had a lot of success at Notre Dame. He's actually the most winning, the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. And yet he chooses to leave to go to LSU. That is to chase a national championship. He is going to be able to get way better players down here in the South than he would up there at Notre Dame. Coaching openings have just been insane this year. Absolutely insane. I mean, before this weekend, you had USC, LSU, Florida, and Washington all open, uh, along with a, a... plethora of other jobs open. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, LSU and USC, those are going to be the biggest programs with an opening. But then over a 24-hour span, both OU and Notre Dame become available. That is nuts. That is nuts. None of us saw that coming. I didn't see it coming. And wow, this coaching carousel this, this, this time, this year is going round and round and round and round. And just when you think that guy is going to stop it and ask for the next group of people to come on and jump on the carousel, it just keeps going and going and going. And there is no telling what else is going to happen because the conference championship games haven't even been played yet. And look at all these jobs that are open. Look at all these movements that are happening. It is crazy. So There is going to be much, much more that happens. I'm excited to see what happens. And for the sake of the future of the new Big 12, the hot names at the moment, Matt Campbell from from Iowa State, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, they are top targets for these jobs at Notre Dame, mainly Notre Dame, Not, not so much at OU, but mainly at Notre Dame. And I am hoping like I said, for the future of this new Big 12, that those schools are able to retain those head coaches because either of, go- either of those guys leaving would be a big loss for the future Big 12, and both of those guys leaving would be an even bigger loss for the future of the Big 12. And I am very excited at this moment for the future. We're adding three teams that are currently ranked in the college football playoff to the Big 12. Like that is insane. We're we're adding a team that is likely you know barring a total collapse versus Houston likely going to be adding a Cincinnati team who is going to make the playoff this year most likely. That's that's pretty awesome. And then, you know, I'll, I'll talk about UCF. They've had a, a a very good history of having a good program. So if they get the right guy in there, I think UCF is is going to be on the up up and up as well. 
let's get into this Texas Tech game. Um, you know, final score 27-24. I don't think that's what any of us expected to to come out of this game. You know, not as dominant as I would have liked to see, you know, but nevertheless, hey, we we found a way to pull out the win um with Tech missing that field goal to end the game, which honestly I figured he was going to to bang home and send to overtime and was just <laughs> so nervous at the end of that game and a big big sigh of relief to to come out with that win kind of like you know the butt bowl kind of like our games versus TCU it's always going to be a a tough and and close game for the most part that's what we got this past weekend and we come to find out after the game though Baylor had about 20 players with the flu last week some that weren't able to practice until Thursday and I don't like to make excuses. Had we lost, I definitely would not have made this excuse because you should still win. And I, I hate to make excuses. Honestly, it's, it's, if you lose, you lose. Um, and, and that's the way it is. But I do think that this definitely affected the game, um, both by one, not being able to practice all week and two, from a conditioning standpoint. And I think we saw that conditioning come to fruition or lack thereof on the field on Saturday. But hey, at least we kind of had that COVID year experience um, to help us navigate through last week. And where did this hurt the most? I would say rush defense. Um, Our rush defense was just not what we are used to seeing. We gave up 124 yards rushing on the ground, um, 4.4 yards per rush. And it felt like Every time Tech was touching the ball, they were just gashing our defense. You know, inside, outside, it didn't matter. Um, even that first play of the game, it, it ended up being a fumble. But man, he just busted right through the middle of of um, of our defense and went for about ten or fifteen yards before fumbling. Um, you know, great job by McVeigh there to get his head on the football and uh, and force it out. But look, I th- I think the flu affected us big time in this game. More from that defense though, you know, as as bad as our rush defense was, we've got to give credit to these guys, you know, still found a way to affect the game in a positive way. They forced those two turnovers, you know, already mentioned McVeigh forcing that fumble on the first offensive play from Tech, and then Raleigh Tejada, as as much as he has struggled this year, you know, comes in on a corner blitz, gets the sack forced fumble, recovers it on his own, you know, another huge momentum shift for this defense. And when you're giving up that amount of yards on the ground and, and in the air, you've got to find a way to be successful in other areas. And this week we did that with turnovers. I think we only had two sacks as well. So, hey, the turnovers really, really helped us out winning this game. I would say more so than, than any other game this year. Looking at the offense, you know, our rush defense was bad. So was our rushing offense. Only 180 yards rushing. I think we averaged close to like 220 on the year. Uh, But it also took us 50 carries to get there. 50 carries. So only a 3.6 yards per rush average. Just not what we're used to seeing from this Baylor offense. Um, 
you know, we, we did come out firing though. Shapin, he finds Ebner for a 61 yard touchdown on our third play of the game. And look, anytime Ebner is matched up with a linebacker, it is 100% a mismatch, a big mismatch. We took advantage of it this game on our first two drives. And look, I hope, I hope we're able to take more advantage of that against Oklahoma State, especially if Oklahoma State comes out and, and stops our rushing attack. Let's throw Ebner in there. Let's shift him to the slot and, and let's get him lined up on a linebacker and let's go to work. Um, let's go to work. And after the tech fumble, that second, um, that second drive shaping throws it, throws another dime to Ebner again, you know, uh, going out of bounds, um, for a 31 yard game. And that set us up in field goal range, which we ended up being at home in field goal. So, you know, rush offense wasn't great. Rush defense wasn't great, but made some plays offensively, made some plays defensively to, to hold on to that lead throughout the game and uh, eventually get the win. Some key plays this game. Um, only want to cover two or three of them. Uh, the Ben Sims touchdown catch that put us up 27 to 17. I mean, Ben Sims just continues his rise in this offense. And, and uh, man, it's just so good to see that we are continuing to use those tight ends. Um, this was on a third and goal from the nine yard line, which is a really, really tough spot to be in. And Sims makes a great double move. Shapin finds him in the back of the end zone for the touchdown to extend the lead to 10. Following drive, we give up a 75-yard touchdown to their tight end. Man, you've got to, got to credit Tech here on this play call. Just a, a beautiful, beautiful play call and a beautiful way to set up the play. They had trips left, and then they motioned their running back to the left of the quarterback. So, um, you know, no receivers on the right side. Only a tight end attached to the the uh, the offensive line, and since Tejada's side was empty, he came in on the blitz. The tight end slips the block for a screen pass, and we just have absolutely no one out there to to make the tackle. Takes it 75 yards. It puts him right back in the game there, um, 27 to 24. You know, I thought after Ben Sims caught that touchdown to go up 10, our defense was going to show up and at least force them to to milk, you know, three or four minutes off the clock to, to get a touchdown. But man, you got to credit uh, the Texas Tech offensive staff. They're a beautiful play call to put them back in the game. And here's here's another controversial um, call, in, in my opinion, um, going for it on fourth and two from the Tech 12-yard line, um, only up by three. They're, they're near the end of the game. And I know our our identity is to go for it on fourth and short. I get that. Okay, I totally get that. But I think this was a time when we should have kicked the field goal. And I know that's an unpopular opinion, but I'm I'm gonna stick to to uh, to what I think here. I I know the play was there, and and the tech mayor, the tech player, he made a great play batting the ball down. You know, so yes, we had someone open, which would have been a for a first down, but. I still think we take that field goal based on time and score. It would have put us up six with about a minute left. You know, would have forced them to go 75 yards and score a touchdown with no timeouts instead of them only having to go about 50 yards and kick a field goal to tie. And let's remember, this is the same kicker 
who banged home a 62-yard field goal to beat Iowa State. A collegiate kicker making a 62-yard field goal is unheard of. Unheard of. And I think that's another reason why we should have ki- kicked that field goal to go up six. And then after the game, I think this even furthered, furthered my thoughts on this, is hearing that we had 20 guys out with the flu. You know, might have meant we were a little bit tired near the end of the game. Would have liked to force them to go for a touchdown. You know, also, to that flu point, being a little bit tired would not have been great to go to overtime with a fatigued team. And in the end, did it matter? No, because they missed the field goal and we won. So in the end, no, it didn't matter. But that field goal narrowly missed, narrowly missed, and almost uh, blew our shot at a Big 12 Conference Championship game by, by going to overtime and, and potentially losing that game. So, look, I know most people disagree with, with me on this, not, not going for the field goal and, and go for it on fourth down. But I am standing my ground here. I, I, I truly believe we should have kicked that field goal, forced him to go the length of the field, and score a touchdown to win. Let's look at some individual performances. Blake Shapin, I thought he played okay, ju- just okay. 20 of 34, 250 yards in the air, and two touchdowns. He had a few bad misses here, guys. Almost through that pick six that got overturned to an incomplete pass. Um, hopefully getting those uh, wacky throws out of his system before coming up against this very, very good Oklahoma State team uh, and defense. And then a very bad throw to a wide open Taekwon Thornton in the end zone. Just really underthrew him. Taekwon had like three or four yards on the guy and it was so bad that the defensive player was able to catch up and, and bat it down and honestly almost almost intercepted that in the end zone and took three points away from us, which, which is uh, what we ended up getting on that drive. But we do need to give Shapin some credit. You know, not once did I think he looked nervous. Not once did I think that the game was too big for him. That was something that in 2019 when Zeno came in, and even when Bohannon came in, they just looked a little bit, little bit scared. Not, not very comfortable. But Man, Shapin just looked really comfortable back there. Um, was out there making plays for us. Threw some some great great passes to Ebner. I mean, that first one on the sixty one yard touchdown was just right in the bread basket. All Ebner had to do was just put both his hands out, and it just dropped right in there. And then again, that second drive, a- another one to Ebner, where he just threw it beautifully to the sideline, and Ebner was able to make a grab for about thirty yards. And then, man laying it all out on the line for this Baylor team. Um, a third down play where he extends it, he rolls out, and he, he runs up the sideline and just gets annihilated by a Tech defensive player. Like, whew, that's probably one of the best hits I've seen in, in a game this year um, of, of any game that I've watched live. And Shapin had to come out of the game. I was a little bit worried there. Thought he may have got knocked out, but um, he was definitely still moving. I think maybe he just got the, the wind knocked out of him. I'm not totally sure. But uh, Drones, Drones comes in um, and uh, gives the handoff, and we get a first down because of what Shapin was able to do. He ended up getting four or five yards on that rush before getting lit up, made it a fourth and short, uh, which we then converted. So 
man, credit Blake Shapin there. A, a heck of a play to sell out for the team. And you love to see that. You, you absolutely love to see that. Abram Smith um, did go for over 100 yards again, 117 yards, uh, but on 30 carries. So um, not used to what we're seeing from his yards per rush standpoint. Also had a touchdown. And still, now, now with this conference championship, Smith has a pretty good opportunity. I think he needs about 309 yards to break Ganaway's single season rush record. And he has got his work cut out for him because we are going to play a very good Oklahoma State defense. And then based on who our bowl game is going to be, most likely an SEC team against a very good SEC defense. Uh, Terrell Bernard led the team with eight tackles and two tackles for loss. McVeigh and Tejada with the forced fumbles. Petrie adds to his great season, a half a sack and a half a tackle for loss. Which brings us to one of my favorite segments and one of the last of the year, the oh-so-good player of the game. And this week, it is Tristan Ebner. 12 carries for 38 yards. He led the team in receiving four catches for 118 yards and a touchdown. He also had a great game in the return aspect of the game. 64 return yards. His long was 26. I thought he did a very good job of putting us in good positions to start some drives. He started this game hot helped us get out to an early lead, which may have eventually been the difference in this game. Tristan Ebner, your oh-so-good player of the game. Now let's swing it over to Scotty Swingler for a quick little Oklahoma State story. Hey, y'all. Pastor Scotty here. I uh, want to share a story. <laughs> and there are a few different aspects to this story that I think are entertaining. But the main reason I want to share this story in light of a rematch with Oklahoma State for the Big 12 title is to articulate that I think Oklahoma State is my favorite opposing fan base in the Big 12. I know there's some other great ones out there, but I really like Oklahoma State fans. And I have a special place in my heart for Stillwater and Oklahoma State fans, and I hope this story emphasizes why. In 2013, you'll remember, Baylor is ranked number three in the country going into the last couple of weekends of the season. It was the final year of the BCS system, and so in order to play for the national championship, you needed to be ranked number one or number two in the country. That Bryce Petty Baylor team, the first team that won a Big 12 title and closed the case, was well on its way, we thought, uh, to being one of those top two teams and competing for the national championship. Many folks think uh, maybe we could have won that national title had we gotten into it. So I'm a junior at Baylor in 2013-2014, and some buddies and I road tripped up to Stillwater for the weekend, and that was Baylor's first ever appearance on ESPN College Game Day. Game Day would come back to campus, of course, for the first time ever at Baylor in 2014, but 2013 was Baylor's first appearance on the show as one of the two featured schools. So some buddies and I drive up to Stillwater 
skip classes on Friday, get there early in the evening, Friday evening. We notice that there are several tents and students who have been camping out. However, oddly enough, the tents were quite a distance from the game day set. In fact, it was really bizarre. Uh, The tents were up on the sidewalk on the top of a hill, and the set where the actual show was going to take place was down the hill, and nobody was down there. So after we arrive and get a lay of the land, we decide that we are going to go post up right at the entrance to the, uh, you know, the fan space behind the college game day set. So we go post up down there probably about, I don't know, 7 p.m. And as soon as all these Oklahoma State people realized that four Baylor guys had posted up at the entrance to the set and we were going to be the first ones in, they got really, really antsy, right? (laughs) So there's a long line of people behind us pretty quickly. A lot of students griping about how long they've been camping out. You know, I've been here since Tuesday. I've been here since Wednesday. And we, being college juniors, And the only Baylor people within sight were like, well, too bad. You should have been camping down here by the entrance to the set, right? We mostly got that resolved. We let one group of Oklahoma State people in front of us, but we were the second kind of friend group that got to go in. We're up standing up at this entrance to this set all night. Single digit cold weather. Like I think it was eight or nine degrees. I'm wearing so many layers and still just numb to my bones, right? We literally stand outside that entrance from about 7 p.m. all the way to the start of the show, over 12 hours of just standing in the miserable cold. When we finally get to go in, my buddies and I are in the very front. We're the only Baylor fans really behind the set where you're going to see us. We're standing right on the barricade, right behind the set. I'm so excited to see Corso and Chris Fowler and Herb Street, you know, and and be part of this college game day thing. I've got a sign that says Petty for Heisman, and in the Heisman, I used the numbers 14 instead of the I and the A. I'm really excited. About 10 minutes before the show goes live, you know, like 7.50 a.m., the producer walks out and says, all right, guys, we're going to run a camera test, so we want you to hold your signs and scream just like you're going to at the top of the show, and we're going to practice using our dollies and our wires and, and getting the camera movements just right for this opening sequence. So... Uh, This is a dress rehearsal, and then in 10 minutes, we'll do it for real. They start running the cameras. I start screaming, and I'm holding my Bryce Petty sign, and I feel somebody kind of like grabbing my arm, and it's a crowded space. We're packed in there like sardines. I don't think much of it. I do a shrug. You know, I kind of shrug my right shoulder to get this arm off of me. Then this arm reaches over my shoulder, grabs the top of my sign, and tries to throw it out of my hand. At that point, I turn around, and I see this guy in Oklahoma State garb, and I said, hey, man, what's your problem? And he starts cussing us up and down, telling us how we didn't belong, how we needed to get the hell out of there, you know, just just really being belligerently rude. And, and to a point that's obnoxious, right, we've all seen these people at sporting events on occasion, right, that, that are like this. Well, before I can say anything back to this guy, my buddy Drew Mills, I know many of you follow Drew on Twitter, (laughs) good friend of mine, my buddy Drew Mills was there with me, as well as Amando Dominic, if you follow Mondo. And Drew steps in, looks this guy in the face, and says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize we were in College Station. 
Funny. Very funny. Bro does not like the joke. And so Oklahoma State bro swings, tries to punch me. Because of the crowd and, I guess, the, the circumstances, he did not land a clean punch on me. So I don't have any scars or, or great, like, like, fighting moments from this. But all I remember, he swings a punch at us. Drew and I both kind of push back on this guy. And, you know, of course, within, like, a second or two, we have people grabbing us and pulling us apart from one another. The official security for the event comes rushing over there, you know, running in front of the barricades, coming right over to where we are. And I am thinking to myself, we drove all the way up here to Stillwater, stood outside all night up for 13 hours in the freezing cold. And I'm about to get thrown off of this set five minutes before the show goes live because this dude ran his mouth. I could not believe it. Security rushes over and says, hey, what's going on? And all of a sudden, something incredible happened. All of the Oklahoma State faithful, mostly students, but a few older folks in the mix, sure, point at their fan who started the fight and said, he did it, the Baylor guys are fine, they didn't do anything wrong. And so security promptly removes the Oklahoma State guy who tried to throw the sign out of my hand and started cussing us out and lets us stay. I can't tell you what a shocker moment this was, right? Here you are about to go on national TV, and you've got these three guys in green and gold ruining your all-orange and black aesthetic behind the set. And they let us stay. So I looked around at the sea of faces after this guy had been removed, and he's cussing us out the whole way security's pulling him out of there, right? I look at the sea of faces, and I said, Thank you. You had a real opportunity here to get rid of the Baylor guys. And this one student, a, a girl, really kind person, was really nice to us the whole day, looks back at us and says, yeah, that guy has shown up to multiple nationally televised events just to start a fight. We don't like him. Y'all are fine. So I got to tell you, in that moment, I looked back at her and said, well, from now on, Oklahoma State is my second favorite school in the Big 12, and your fan base will be my favorite opposing fan base because that is a classy and kind thing you did for us, and I really appreciate it. Here I am eight years later, reflecting on that experience, telling that story to you, and I got to say, as much as I hope we get a victory Saturday, and as much as I just want to beat the socks off of the Cowboys on Saturday, I got to tell you, I love Oklahoma State fans, students. I love their campus. I am thankful that I got to have that <laughs> experience there with them. I do wish their entire team and student body great success in life because once upon a time, I got into a little scrap with one of their own. And because I didn't start it, they let me stay. Pretty funny, pretty, pretty surreal experience. I'll never forget Drew Mills looking at him and saying, I didn't realize we were in College Station. <laughs> Anyway, absolutely fantastic times. And I hope that this Baylor-Oklahoma State matchup kind of becomes more and more of a good, competitive, maybe never a true rivalry, right, but, but a good, competitive, fun matchup year to year with two great coaches and two great football programs in years to come. And if I could take a second to do one more thing, I, I kind of want to dedicate this week's episode to my grandfather, 
granddad was a diehard Baylor Bear for most of his life, got his undergraduate degree at Baylor, got his MBA at Oklahoma State. And so it was funny, he would always root for Oklahoma State when they weren't playing Baylor, and sometimes when they were playing Baylor, he'd wear a Baylor shirt with an Oklahoma State cap, even though he was always a Baylor Bear at his core. And so uh, he passed away a couple years ago, and I don't mean to bring a downer to the podcast, but just thinking of him, I think he would be so thrilled to know that Baylor and Oklahoma State were playing for a Big 12 title this year. So granddad, I love you and I miss you. And uh, this one goes out to Bill Swingler. Thanks for letting me tell the story, Travis. I'll throw it back to you. Sick'em Bears, let's go win that Big 12 championship game. With that, let's transition into my conversation with Travis Roeder of Sick'em 365. Travis, thank you for bearing with us today. And uh, you got a nice little setup outside there. It looks, looks like a beautiful day where you're at. Yeah, it's wonderful. My dogs and I love the sunshine when we can, we can, when we can get it. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, well, Hey, b- before we dive in here, I, I want to uh, extend a congratulations to you, man, with the uh, new role there at Sikkim 365. Um, that seemed like it's going to be uh, good stuff for you. Thanks. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. Um, I want to extend a lot of, well, thanks to Ashley and, and for Colt and Brian and the guys who hired me and um, I've kind of talked about this on Twitter and stuff and written about it, but it's just kind of surreal to me that people even really care what I have to say. Um, so, you know, all those years starting back when I was just kind of writing guest posts for our daily bears, and then I kind of slowly became like an official piece and then started getting paid and now, uh, still getting paid and, and people caring what I have to say is what really matters the most to me. But anyway, it's just kind of surreal. It feels great. Um, I'm mostly just happy just that, um, you know, I just love football and, uh, obviously like most of that is through the lens of Baylor football. Um, but just the fact that people care and want to learn more about the game, because I think football is really unique in how many different kind of ways you can attack it as a fan. Like you can, you can like so many different aspects of the game. Um, but anyway, that was a long winning answer, but yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the thanks or thanks for the congratulations. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, just, I just love talking ball. So looking forward to this opportunity to do that here today, too. Yeah, well, you, you, you've certainly earned it. Uh, you know, the, over the past couple of years, I've been following you. I've, I've learned so much from you. And honestly, uh, just from an X's and O's standpoint, I would say you're, you're at the top of the game when it, when it comes to Baylor football. And so let's dive in here to that Texas Tech performance here quickly. Um, yeah, please. What? Yeah. What, what, why do you think Baylor underperformed against tech there? And, and, and does that worry you at all about uh, the game this coming weekend? Well, I think there's a variety of reasons. Uh, Aranda actually kind of very um, lucidly and clearly explained what he thought the problems were in his opening statement. And, and what I do enjoy about what Baylor did wrong as weird as that sounds um, <laughs> is that um it, it really kind of hinges on what makes college football so great. College football is not a professionals. Uh, they're not professionals. And I mean, even professionals deal with up and down games, deal with motivation. They deal with rivalries and all that kind of stuff. But all that stuff is really highlighted in college football where you've got 18 to 23 year old guys who are going to class all week. They have like two major practices per week, a couple meetings, and they got to go perform for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people watching them as if it's all they do all day, every day. And that's just not the case. Mm. 
And so I think what we saw there was apparently there was about a flu um, influenza that went through the team. So that obviously affected things. I think kind of just naturally after uh, with everyone's focus being on the big 12 title game, just, it was just one of those things you can't not talk about. It's not like all week I was going to just pretend that the big 12 title game wasn't at stake. And so even if the players tried to avoid it, I'm sure when they talk to their friends and family, just people they see in class and stuff like that, it's just on their mind. And so that takes their focus away from the game. It was an awful weather day. It was another 11 AM kick. I mean, I think there was just kind of a variety of factors where they clearly weren't playing at the top of their game, especially defensively. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah, I think it's just kind of one of those things where, like, we knew that Baylor just needed to survive going into that game. But then, like, when you watch a team survive, it's one thing to be like, okay, this is going to be an ugly game. We're going to watch them survive. But then you see it in person. You're like, oh, dang, like, this is really happening or whatever. So, so, I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a tough thing with how much you want to give that towards Oklahoma State. Obviously, it's like the last it's the last taste that's in your mouth. So you don't really it's you can't ignore it. But I think 12 games into this year, we know what top performing Baylor looks like. And there's no reason to expect that a lot of those factors that applied against tech are going to apply against Oklahoma State. There is the health aspect with the flu, like, you know, that just kind of happens. And we'll see how many players had to deal with that this week. But as far as all the extrinsic motivation stuff, I think like the focus should really be on this game. And so even if Baylor does get beat, I think what we're going to see is a much more um, uh, focused and uh, a team that isn't making as many just kind of mental mistakes and looking as blase as Baylor did against tech. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned um, what, what we can expect to see from a top performing Baylor team um, and coming into this year, what was your ceiling for this team? But, you know, before we get into Oklahoma state here, what, what was your ceiling for this team? And, and are you a little bit surprised at all that we're sitting here uh, talking about a big 12 championship? I think anyone has to be, I mean, I know there were some people that thought that Baylor could to, could reach these highs and but it was kind of hard it was difficult to um even if you were a fan that were like i think baylor could fight for the big 12 title it was difficult difficult to enumerate like what exactly you thought the path was um because a lot of people it was just hard to predict that the offense was going to be this good in year one yeah and so at that point you're saying okay well i think baylor can have a top 15 defense or so which is what i thought baylor would have and it's what they do have but unless you have a uh, in at least average or above average offense to go with that, it doesn't mean much. But what we've seen in ba- what we've seen this year is Baylor has a verifiably good offense, if not, and it's and it's flirted with great at times. Um, so you know, it, expectations are always a different thing because you can kind of assign different probabilities and likelihoods to each of your expectations. I thought the vast majority of circumstances this year had Baylor somewhere between like five and eight wins. So I'm definitely surprised by the yeah. fact that they're already at ten. Um, but if you read my preview article that I did before the year, I was like, you know, this team has the potential to reach higher than that, but it just means that the offense is just way better than all of us think it's going to be. And that's exactly what happened. And that's a testament to the coaches. And it's a testament to the fact that Baylor has a really good, well, Gary, but one Gary Bowen and it's healthy. They have a, a top flight, mm-hmm. top two or three quarterback in the big 12. And I don't think any of us saw that coming. I thought most of us thought he would be very much kind of a game manager guy who you would primarily lean on his legs and to throw some deep balls, but he's been much more than that. So long, I'm sorry, I'm going to say this almost every time I answer a question, sorry for the long answer, Uh, but yes, I'm surprised. And I think everyone really is, but it's a delightful surprise. And it's something that I'm having to remind myself this week because by the end of every, every, by the end of every season, I'm always like fighting for motivation to care as much as I did earlier in the season. And what I mean by that, as far as like watching games every day and like really breaking things down, 
And so I'm having to remind myself, you know, I should really get into this Oklahoma State game because it's <laughs> we're lucky to have this. And it's not a guarantee that you make these title games every year. Far from it. No kidding. And it is a um, big opportunity. And now, now we've got a second opportunity in three years, which is which is pretty wild. And I, and I was right there with you with uh, I thought our ceiling was going to be eight wins. I, I, I'm certainly shocked as well that, that we're sitting here talking about a Big 12 championship. But hey. Um, I'm certainly happy about it too. And I, I saw this morning, you, you tweeted out that you actually rewatched the Oklahoma state Baylor game, uh, this morning. Um, where did Baylor struggle the most against this Oklahoma state team? And, and why did ultimately, yeah, one of the nice things, go ahead. One of the nice things about doing my like recaps is that I can just go back and watch all the videos that I clipped instead of having to like thumb through a YouTube video again, which, which are nice, which are great by the way. And <laughs> if you guys aren't following Travis and going through those, uh, those video, um, recaps that he's doing every Sunday, uh, you're, you're missing out big time. You're missing out. Thanks for the plug. But yep. yeah, I, I went, I went, I went back and thumbed through those again this morning and I remembered a lot about the game. So nothing really kind of came as a surprise, but it's good to put it back on your mind again. But the biggest area Baylor struggled is just, Offensive line wise, they they were they were okay, but it was basically a lot of plays where four guys would do would 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 block well on their assignment, and then one guy would just get his butt whipped like like badly. Um, especially the offensive guards. I thought I thought Xavier Newman Johnson at left guard probably had the worst game I've I've seen a Baylor offensive lineman have this year mm. um and he's played better he's always been kind of inconsistent and up and down he tends to either play really good or really poorly in a game but that was one of his worst games which created a lot of problems for baylor because baylor's offensive line blocking style if you can get if you can really destroy one of the alignment and get a lot of penetration it, it messes up the angles for the back and it makes it really hard for the back to do anything so i think up front that started that way oklahoma state has really good defensive ends and i mean their tackles aren't bad too but they're really good rushing the passer off the edge. And I thought in a couple of crucial, crucial situations, Baylor's offensive tackles just got beat and blown up. Um, and the other main thing, which goes more to, um, to scheme is the fact that Oklahoma state came out and really just kind of punched Baylor in the mouth with how they were playing defensively uh, in particular, the way they were playing their safeties, their safeties would line up like seven, eight yards off the ball. And then just be in the backfield like a second and a half after the snap. I mean, they had no respect for Baylor's downfield passing game. Baylor started attacking them and it started working. Um, but I think it came a little bit too late. Um, and a lot of that is because like their first four or five drives were, I think like four of them were three and outs or something like that. So it's hard yeah. to get in any sort of rhythm and play calling wise. So I think what you're going to see this time is that Baylor is going to focus on, Hey, our offensive line just has to play better. Nobody can win a game when their offensive line just gets whipped every play. And I think you're going to see Baylor attack downfield much earlier this game. Okay. Do, do you expect the Oklahoma state defense to, to come in and do exact, uh, I mean, not exactly what they did, but a similar type game plan as, as to the first game. Absolutely. It's who they are. Uh, it wasn't really a against Baylor thing. It's what they do to everybody. And I think all of us Baylor fans were probably watching the, uh, the bedlam game very closely. Yes. Um, and sure. we saw that that's exactly what Oklahoma state did against OU in the first half, which was actually a massive mistake because it played right into how OU wants to play. It makes the read. It made the reads very simple for Caleb Williams to kind of just take one V one shots to OU's very talented wide receivers. And what we saw is in the second half, they switched to playing. They would just rush three or four and then drop seven or eight guys in his own coverage and just cover all day. And, and that's how they ended up stopping OU. But all that to say that, 
they're going to start with their fastball, just like Baylor's fastball on offense is trying to establish their run game and then hitting play auction off of that. They're going to try that and make sure until it doesn't work. OU, OSU is going to attack you defensively. A lot of blitzes. They're going to play with their safeties at eight yards off the ball and, and, and attack your run game um, until you make them pay. And so it's just one of those things where it's good versus good. I imagine Baylor's offensive coaches this, this week are just telling their O-line, hey, it's time to play better. They're telling their wide receivers, hey, it's when you get your opportunity downfield, you got to catch the ball. And they're telling the quarterback, you got to deliver a good ball, even though there's going to be pressure in your face. So I think it's very much kind of a good versus good aspect there where they're going to do their thing, Baylor's going to do their thing, and we'll see who wins out. Yeah, and does does having shapen in the game, it's, which is likely going to be shaping uh, starting for the Bears here. Does that change anything for Oklahoma State defensively? Do you think they'll send more pressure because, you know, Shapin isn't as dynamic? He, he's pretty good with his legs, but not nearly not as dynamic as Bohannon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it just kind of makes you feel even more comfortable with the fact that you can use your same game plan because you're attacking a different quarterback who hasn't seen it before. That to me is the biggest wild card of this game with is a, if shaping is starting or not, which I would expect him to, if Gary really did have a, a pretty bad hamstring pull and B, you know, this is the first time that shaping is going to see a defense that's playing as aggressive and fast. Um, yeah. And it, there's just, it's just one thing to see it on film and it's another to see it in person. And that's kind of my worry with the fact that Baylor got punched in the mouth the first time they saw it in person. And so I feel really good about the fact that, the O-line will probably play better. The wide receivers will the wide receivers will play better. The tight ends will block better, et cetera. But then you have a new quarterback and he hasn't seen it before. So right. how long does it take him to get adjusted to it? Uh, because there's just something about a big, fast safety being in your face a second and a half after the snap that until you've seen it, um, it's tough to it's tough to plan for. So yeah, I expect them to get after him. I mean, I certainly would. And as you said. Yeah. He has he has good escapability, but he's not a he's not a um, a called running play threat in the same way Gary is, and so they probably won't need to allocate as many resources to protecting the backside of these run plays for him. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. so let's continue on with Shapin there. What what does Shapin bring to this offense that maybe Bohannon can't, or is there anything? Well, I think it seems like they trust him more on just throwing the ball deep, um, which. I don't really know how much to take from that because I think Gary's been really good throwing deep as well. Um, everything I reviewed from Shapin in high school told me that this is a guy that is really good at throwing the long ball and he's good on the move. He's really good on rollouts um, and he's good throwing on the run. Um, but he also is a guy that will force a lot of balls in his own coverage. And we saw that against tech. Yeah, uh, It's actually a really good example. If anybody listening wants to, uh, wants to do this, I don't know why they would, but I'll throw it out there anyway. But whenever you watch quarterbacks in high school, you always need to watch their full game tape because highlights don't really tell you about how much they operate on a down-to-down -down basis. Shapin's highlights in high school were awesome. His full game tape was much more up and down because he's so confident that he tends to force the ball. So his highlights would just show all the touchdowns and not show the five times a game <laughs> that he would throw the ball into double coverage, right? Uh, so he's a really good prospect and he has a lot going from him there. But the challenge with him has always been kind of tempering his confidence as far as when he throws in double coverage and stuff like that. So I think that if he is starting, you're definitely going to see Baylor feel very confident about tech attacking downfield. I mean, they're going to have him just straight up throw go routes like they did last week against tech. And then the same way they did against Kansas state too. The problem there is anytime you're just drop back passing, you're really exposing your offensive tackles in the pass rush. Oklahoma state has awesome de defensive ends. I really don't want to see Baylor's 
I, I really don't want to see Baylor have more than 10 pure drop back passes this game. I think it really needs to be a establish whatever kind of run game you can and then play action. Because I think that if you just have shape and drop back 15 or 20 times in this game, he's going to get killed and they're going to throw two, three, four interceptions. So, yep. I, mean, I mean, who knows, but I mean, that that's my expectation. You want him throwing the ball downfield. You want him throwing on the move, uh, but you can't just, uh, it can't just be Art Briles style where you just, we just take the snap and then look downfield because I think Baylor, I think he'll get killed doing that. Um, so yeah, I think it's all going to be, I think it needs to be about setting up the run and play action to keep yep. him safe and make the read simple for him. Yep. I, th- I think I'm right there with you. Um, and, and let's talk about this Baylor defense. Now um, we were missing a big piece of our defense in that first matchup in Terrell Bernard. Yeah. Um, what, what does Terrell Bernard bring to this Baylor defense um, that makes it so effective? Well, I think it's a great case study. If you watch the Oklahoma state game to see like, how his presence is missed. And actually the funny thing is that he actually wasn't playing very well at the beginning of the year before he got hurt. And the Iowa state game was a really poor game for him, uh, which was the week prior. Um, But I I think it was probably due to coming back from that shoulder injury. He just wasn't right yet, but he's played really well the rest of the year ever since he came back. And um, so, yeah, if you watch that Oklahoma state game, they had Matt Jones filling in with him. Who's not even playing inside linebacker anymore. He's playing back outside. And the big thing with Terrell is that what Baylor's been able to do is really stop the run with only six guys in the box. I mean, that kind of change, the numbers change depending on how many offensive blockers they have. So, you know, if they bring in a couple tight ends, obviously they're not going to only have six guys in the box, but anyway, I just mean kind of your standard six on six where the offensive line has five guys, they bring have a tight end. They're bringing six blockers. Baylor has six block or six defenders. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're able to do that is because a their defensive line has been really stout up front. So they're, they're able to keep the linebackers clean, which is a common phrase you hear, which is essentially just means keep the offensive linemen off the linebackers. But what Sorrell is so good at is he's so good at feeling out plays. And so what I mean by that is like, let's say the run goes to the right side and on that front side, on that front, right side, you know, maybe Dylan Doyle is playing on that right side and Terrell Bernard is on the, is on the backside. Um, and it's always difficult to kind of describe these things visually, but hopefully the listeners are there with me. You're good. I, I'm at least with you. Okay. So yeah. So, so like anytime a, a play comes to the front side, the front side linebacker, you know, if the run's coming towards his side, he needs to, to plug up whichever gap he's responsible for on that play. But the backside linebacker is much more free flowing in the sense of he's reading where the play is going and his job is kind of knife through, find a gap that he can come through. So that way he can, um, you know, make the stop. And Terrell is just elite at feeling where those gaps are going to come through. He come, That's why so many of those big tackles for loss, you'll see him just blow by an offensive lineman before it feels like the offensive lineman even sees where he is. And uh, what, you, what you saw in that first Oklahoma State matchup is that the guy replacing him just didn't have any of that feel because inside linebacker is such a feel-based position. Um, it's one of those positions where you just want to take thousands of reps and, and see it over and over again. So anyway, all that is a long way to say that I think with Terrell, with Terrell being healthy and back, he gives them a lot better opportunity to just stop Oklahoma State's base run game without them having to do too, anything creative. Um, and that will allow them to keep more guys back in coverage, which is really good against Sanders because he's a guy that if you can just sit back with a lot of guys in zone, he will throw the ball to you. I mean, he tried to lose them the game last week, even though he played overall <laughs> very well. Oklahoma, Oklahoma should have had a pick six in the third quarter, which would have put them up by like 17 points or something like that. Sure. And the game should have been over. For sure. Uh, but the oh, you guys just dropped it. Um, so anyway, all that to say, Terrell gives you a better opportunity to stop the run without having to allocate too many resources towards that. 
can keep more guys back in the past game to um, until Sanders makes a mistake. So it's, I think it's a huge thing for the Baylor defense. Yeah. And now I asked you if, if Oklahoma state would do anything different defensively, will Baylor do anything different defensively? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, their okay. plan last time was awesome. Um, okay. It really revolved around essentially kind of just what I talked about, like not allocating too many resources that way you can sit back and confuse Sanders um so yeah i expect more uh, it's, i think it's another kind of just good versus good game i think if both teams are kind of playing at their top level this is something like a 17 to 14 game either way uh but with all the kind of baylor's backup quarterback their defense being off last week you know those are the things that you want to look for there um but yeah it's, it's definitely one of those games where this is if they're both playing at their top levels then it's two very evenly matched teams and i and I think it's kind of similar to when Baylor met up with OU a couple of years ago. Neither of them really changed up too much. They did change up their game plans a little bit, but it still kind of revolved around attacking the same players. Um, and it was very much kind of a good versus good situation where OU was like, look, we're just going to run Jalen Hurts 20 times. And you you know we're going to do it. We know we're going to do it. See what you can do. And, and Baylor held up pretty well but you know those are really good offense so anyway i think it might be a similar situation where both teams know what the other one's going to do and it's just a matter of who's better and i and you probably have already covered this in what you've said um i I do a segment every week called bare necessities basically just what i think uh baylor needs to do to to win the game so i'll ask you that what do you think the bare necessities are, are for baylor this week what do you think uh, the keys are to a Baylor victory. And I, and I think you've already said it. So if you sound like a broken record, don't, don't worry about it. Well, whenever you talk as long and as rambly as I do, I inevitably <laughs> repeat myself. So it's not a big deal. Um, uh, I think, so I think you kind of have to caveat it with whether Shapin's playing or not. Um, if Shapin's starting, I, to me, really the focus turns defensively because I just don't think that a Shapin led offense is scoring more than 20 to 24 points in the vast majority of circumstances. It's just, it's just a tough ask and there's nothing against the kid and it's nothing really against the Baylor offense, but Oklahoma state's defense is, it's just good. We know it's great. It's elite really. I mean, so anyway, um, caveating that was shape and playing. So to me, the focus really turns defensively. If shape and starting and Baylor looks anything defensively like they did against Texas tech last week, they're going to get blown out of the building. It's just going to happen. But if we get, the Baylor defense that played for most of the last six, seven weeks or whatever it was. uh, And you're holding Oklahoma state under 21 to 24 points. That's when I think the matchup gets really fun. So I'm looking at, you know, how does Baylor look out of the gates defensively? Are they hitting again? It's always weird to say that a team isn't hitting, but Baylor's defense wasn't really hitting that hard against tech. The energy just wasn't there. So I'm going to be looking for that pop early on for the guys playing with a lot of energy. And, and then offensively, if it is shaping to me, it's just all about turnovers. I'm not really worried about the fact that, you know, against Oklahoma state Baylor is not with shaping at the helm is not going to just like march down the field over and over and over again. They're going to have three and outs. They're going to have five and outs. They're going to have seven and outs. whatever. Um, they're going to have short drives, right? I mean, if they have 10, 11, 12 drives, they're probably going to have six or seven short drives. This is, it, have that expectation going in. So for me, it's all about not, not, giving away any possession shapen has been kind of reckless with the ball. I think as long as Baylor's, if you can keep him at one or fewer turnovers, then you feel good. But if he starts throwing two or three interceptions, that's when it's like, okay, we only have 11 drives. We've thrown three interceptions and then we have six, three and outs. Like where are we scoring here? So I think you just want to maximize your opportunities to score with as few turnovers as possible. So again, ramble long, hopefully there was something interesting in there. 
All right. Well, I will end it with this. You don't have to give you a score prediction or anything like that, but uh, Thank you. Who, who do you think wins the, the big 12 championship? Again, I'm going to caveat it. I think if Shapin's playing, I expect something like OSU 24, Baylor 17, something like that. Um, I think it's just going to be really hard to score. And I think the big problem for me is just kind of like what I talked about earlier, the speed of the game. Um, I think if I'm the Baylor coaching staff, I'm figuring out how do I get him as confident and as playing as loose as possible, as fast as possible. Because the last thing you want is a new quarterback to come in after two drives and just kind of be shell-shocked and be like, oh my God, what, what is happening? Everything's going fast. So maybe you drop a scheme where, look, we're throwing a bomb on the second play of the game. We get him amped up and he's not playing afraid anymore. I don't think he's a guy who's really going to play afraid anyway, but I think you know what I mean about just yeah. reacting to the situation. Yeah. And so that's going to be kind of the push and pull, I think, for the staff this week is like, how do we get him playing aggressive and playing free without him turning the ball over three times? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's much easier said than done. Right. And maybe that's just the coin flip you have to take. Um, but anyway, but if Gary plays, which again, like, I just, I just don't know how it would happen. I, I know like modern medicine is crazy, but if you really pull your hamstring, you're not back in two weeks. Yeah. yeah. I know he dressed and he was participating in warmups last week. And apparently he, you know, quote unquote practiced the other day, but there's a big difference between kind of jogging around and like putting your full, full force foot in the ground and having to launch, which is what his game is anyway. So I, I guess it's kind of, a, I don't know how pointless of a caveat it is, but if Gary's playing and if he's able to look a hundred percent, which I think he has to be a hundred percent to play just with that type of injury. Uh, I like Baylor to win the game. Uh, something like, you know, 27 to 24 or something like that. Um, I think he just gives Baylor a lot more confidence or leadership, all these kind of things. And that's nothing against Shapin, but this is just the guy that you've been rolling with all year. I think he has the benefit of playing against an Oklahoma State defense that was uh, knowing the speed and the aggression that they play with the first time. And he gives them the running threat. But again, I'm not I'm not putting much hope in that happening. Yeah. So it's, it's in some sense, like, so yeah, I predicted, I I, I would expect a loss um, or predict a loss if, if Shapin is starting, but in some sense, it's weirdly kind of freeing that it's like, I'm just going to go to the game and just watch it. And then anything can happen. You know, yeah, yeah. there's not like the playoff expectations or anything. I mean, there is a, there is a chance it can happen, but it's just kind of like, wow, Baylor's in the big 12 title game. They're going to put their best foot forward and let's see what happens kind of deal. Yeah. I, I think that's totally fair. Oklahoma state, just an elite elite defense. And I will say, I think the the two things we do have going for us is I haven't seen shape and blink. He, he's been playing with a bunch of confidence. I don't think he's going to come out and play scared at all. And the second thing is all the, all the pressure here is on Oklahoma state. Yeah. Um, I really feel like Baylor can come out and, and play free because even if Baylor loses, I'm not sure that really hurts uh, what bowl they're going to end up going to. So yeah. I don't want to say it's a, it's a free game, but they can play free at least more free than Oklahoma state. Cause Oklahoma state's sitting at number five. Now they've got a playoff on the line for sure. So, um, you know, I think those are two things that, that Baylor has going for him as well. Um, good yeah, stuff. I think, Go ahead. Well, I Sorry. think like, uh, I think the route for Baylor to win this game, like if shape and starting, I'm looking at like, wow, Oklahoma state has 10 points in the fourth quarter. Baylor needs to play that well defensively and Oklahoma state's offense is not that good. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're solid. They're very solid, but if Baylor plays to their defensive potential, and like I said, this, this is what's weird. I would feel much better about predicting this if apparently there wasn't about a flu that went through the team last yeah. week and potentially yeah. still going through this week. Yeah. 
because you need that defensive line to be playing stout and the big boys are generally the ones that are hurt the most by these illnesses. Um, so anyway, but I think there's definitely a possibility that Baylor just comes out there and puts the clamps on them defensively. And it's like, this is a 10, 10 game in the third quarter. And we'll just see what happens from there. Um, that would be really fun to me because I'm a defensive guy. I love the, I love the chess pieces there. And I love, yeah. I love when games become every possession just feels like, like you're just really gritting your teeth and like clenching your fists and just like every first down, you're just like, Oh my, like, what are we going to do now? And, and anyway, so that to me would be a really fun result to happen. Um, but coming off that tech game, like I feel good about predicting the return to a high level, but until I kind of see the first few drives, it's hard to really feel confident in that. So anyway. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I, I, I'll mention this as well. I saw that, you know, looking at the stats here, Oklahoma state had 219 rushing yards, which at its face is, is yeah. not good for Baylor, but Hey, it took them 59 carries to get there. Baylor's run defense is playing so much so, better now than it was back then. Um, yeah. if, it's actually kind of weird to remember, but Baylor's rush defense for the first five games or so wasn't very good. And it's primarily because their defensive line was still kind of learning how to play and because they had Bernard who wasn't really fully back. So yeah, if they're playing at their full potential, if that front six, the Baylor's defensive line and Terrell Bernard and Dylan Doyle are playing at their maximum potential. I feel actually really good about Baylor winning this game because I don't think Oklahoma State's going to be able to score um, much. So yeah, it, it's just a lot of variables. And uh, right. kind of like I said, it's just like, I can't wait to just show up and just see what happens. Cause I think yeah. it's going to be two teams that are really excited um, and playing hard, which is always the best football to watch, even though it's like kind of fun to watch Baylor spank OU. Like you could tell that there was just kind of something off with OU. They didn't, it wasn't a full board game. And so I'm kind of, I'm really looking forward to like two teams that are well coached, energized, all that kind of stuff, like just going at it and just like may the best man win. And that's what, that's, what's fun about football to me. Yeah. should be a very fun matchup, fun, fun game. Um, regardless of, of who wins the game. Um, good stuff, Travis, you got anything else for us before I let you go? I wish I had thought of something, but I probably <laughs> covered it all in my, you know, we've been I think talking you did, for, man. You, you gave us a lot of good stuff. minutes and I probably talked for 24 of them. So I'm sorry about that, but well, thanks. Hey man, you're, you're, you're the guest. So you, you go <laughs> on and talk as much as you want. Um, well, Hey Travis, thank you for bearing with us and, uh, excited for that matchup on Saturday. Thanks, man. Game prediction. Yes, what is your game prediction? I will tell you right now. So, guys, I am honestly, uh, you know, not as nervous for this game as I was for the Big 12 Championship back in 2019. You know, in 2019, we were going against a very, very good OU team that I believe was a more complete team than Oklahoma State this year. We've also improved a ton since playing Oklahoma State versus in 2019, you know, we were basically the same team both times we played OU. We played them so late in the year that we kind of knew who we were and uh, that, that didn't change much going into that championship game. We weren't so sure we would make this championship game this year uh, you know, versus 2019, we controlled our own our own destiny, and you know this isn't going to affect affect our bowl game. Um, a college football playoff berth is highly unlikely, even with a win. So, I, I think no matter what happens in this game, it can't really hurt what bowl game we go to. It can only improve our position going into the bowl game. So, 
honestly don't have really much to lose in this game other than just a, a conference championship, which is actually a lot. But like, I hope you guys get my point that not not much to lose um, coming into this game. I and I hope I explained that well. But you know, really, really excited for this game. Jeff Grimes a finalist for the Broyles Award, which is for the top assistant coach in the nation. And then on the opposite side, Coach Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma State, is also a finalist. So we've got a a finalist offensive coordinator going against a finalist defensive coordinator. That is going to be one, one awesome, awesome rematch and one awesome matchup that I am super excited to, to watch. And I think the offense, the Baylor offense, including the staff, will figure it out in this game. We are going to have a much better game plan offensively. I think we're going to be more aggressive on early downs. I think also having Bernard back is going to have a huge, huge impact. And I think we make it tough on Sanders. We are going to play green. As Dave Aranda says, we're going to play green. All of the pressure is on Oklahoma State. They've only got one loss, so they've got a pretty legit college football playoff berth on the line, a much better chance than us. So all of that pressure is on the pokes. We're going to play free. We're going to play well. Give me the Bears winning the Big 12 championship. Final score, 24-21. And Coach Aranda doing what Matt Rule could not. Shout out to Scotty Swingler for that amazing story. Huge shout out to Travis Roeder for hopping on and uh, breaking down this rematch with Oklahoma State. If you are traveling to Arlington, to Jerry World, please be safe and please cheer on those Bears very loudly. I think Oklahoma State already sold out, sold out their allotted amount of tickets. So I don't expect us to outnumber the Pokes fans, but hey, Let's get, let's get a good showing from these Bears fans and let's show this Baylor team how much we support him. If you can make it. If you can make it. Very exciting game coming up. Very excited to see this matchup between the Baylor offense and the Oklahoma State defense. I think we're going to show up. I think we're going to play much better offensively. And uh, man, the, the addition of Terrell Bernard is going to be a huge difference maker for us. I'm out. Sick and Bears. The Please Bear With Me podcast was created by Scotty Swingler, is hosted and produced by Travis Corley, in affiliation with 247 Sports and Bears Illustrated.